You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Well, good morning. Uh, it's it's a, a joy to be able to be with you guys, come back to Doxology and Theology, see this this gathering happen, um, you know, again, every, every couple of years. Um, it's a joy to be a part of it, and I... I say that as somebody who loves worship leaders, who served as a worship leader for for 15 years in a church, and I I know the burden that comes with that and the joy that comes with that. Um, And so I'm encouraged to see you here in a place that's that's challenging you to think and to think deeply. And I recognize the challenge that comes along with that is that as you try to engage more deeply with your gathering— you often will run into uh, roadblocks of people who don't want to think deeply, of people who don't want to be challenged, of people who don't want to lament, who don't want to think about the tragic side of life, which is part of what we do when we gather for worship. So I say this, with, this has nothing to do with my talk, but I say this to just say to you, I, I feel the challenge that you have. I pray for you. I, I pray that we as uh, the church in North America could see a movement towards uh, a church that, that respects and loves liturgy as a way of being formed and shaped into the image of Jesus. So thank you for your work, and I pray for you, and I pray that you find allies in your pastors and the leaders in your churches. Um, today I want to talk, uh, talk about, a, well, I'm going to start with a story. Um, I was in a coffee shop a couple of years ago, and I was, I was writing. It's, it's kind of my, my spot for writing, and it's sort of this rhythm that I have where I, I get to the coffee shop early in the morning, and I write. You know, I get about 500 words out, and then typically I'll take like a 10 or 15-minute break and just watch what's going on around me. Uh, I love just watching people in the coffee shops, and you see all kinds of things. You see people breaking up or people going on their first date, or you see, you know, in, in Louisville, you know, because the seminary is here, oftentimes you see guys meeting for accountability groups, and overhearing those conversations can get really awkward. So, you know, it's just, it's just the pleasure of observing what's happening with other people. And on this particular day, I, you know, I'm done with my writing for a little bit, and I'm leaning back, and I see this guy come into the room. And if you're that guy, the story I'm about to tell, I apologize in advance. <laughs> <clears throat> but this guy, this guy walks in, and he's got a book and a journal, and he goes, to, uh, he goes to a table, and he sets him down, and he goes up and orders his coffee, and he comes back to his table, and it's a, it's a big book. He comes back to his table, and he sits down with his coffee, and he, uh, he starts, you know, or no, he, sorry, he sits down and starts scrolling through his phone while they make his drink. And, you know, he goes, and he he gets his drink a couple minutes later and he comes back and he sits down and he, he positions the coffee here and then he's got the book and the journal and he's kind of adjusting things. And then what does he do? He whips out the phone, right? At the coffee shop, got to get the shot right. You know, he's adjusting it. He's adjusting this. At one point he takes the big book up and puts it on its side and kind of fans out the pages so you can get the, the you know. By this time I'm like live texting the whole thing to my wife, you know? And so finally, I'm, I'm like, you know, he posts, uh, he, he finds a picture he likes and he leans back and, you know, he's, I assume he's posting and captioning or whatever. And I texted my wife, I said, he finally posted it. And like 30 seconds later, she texts me the screenshot from Instagram because he tagged the coffee shop and she found the picture. <laughs> 
And I told her, honey, you're Batman, I'm amazed. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the great ironies of this, uh, and the reason I acknowledge that this person is possibly in the room, is the book was The Theology of the Word of God by John Frame. <laughs> now here's what's amazing, here's what happened next. About five minutes go by, I get back to my writing and I'm kind of absorbed in my writing and, and he's, you know, he's got his book open, he's reading. About five, ten minutes go by and I look up and this guy's book is down, the phone's back out and he's scrolling through. Now why do we do that? What's happening there? See, what's happened is a liturgy has taken place. A liturgy has taken place where we've made our offering off to the, the world of social media and we're waiting to see how it's been accepted. Did the gods approve? Did I get the likes? Did I get the favorites? Did I get the retweets? Did I get the comments? It's a liturgy. And I think there's, there's two realities that this represents. The first is that this is a liturgy and it's formative. It, we do these kinds of things. The power of social media is in its ability to shape our affections. You get on there and go, oh, this will be fun, this will be interesting, I'm just gonna share what's going on in my life, I'm gonna connect with people, I'm gonna see what other people do. But then you have these little built-in systems that give you a dopamine hit because somebody hit the heart button or hit the like button, and it's like, it makes you feel good and it makes you come back. And slowly it starts to shape your desire. You don't no longer go there just because you're interested in what other people are doing, you're hoping other people are interested in what you're doing. And so this desire gets formed, this desire for affirmation, this desire for approval. And your, your friends, quote unquote, your followers, are actually a pantheon of little gods who you're going and offering sacrifices to, hoping that you get affirmation and approval in the end. And you might think that I'm overstating this, you might think I'm over-exaggerating this, but if you look at the research, if you look at what happens to your brain and the fact that social media is rewiring people's brains because it's become this, this discipline, this practice that becomes obsessive, that becomes compulsive, the fact is that it's transforming the way we think. It's transforming people. And you know what? The Bible knew this. Psalm 115.8, those who make idols become like them. And think about what this culture, this media-driven, this media-saturated culture, this self-promoting media-saturated culture, if that's remaking us, what is it making us into? What is it transforming us into? It's something small, something two-dimensional, something fleeting, right? We have to change and transform in order to keep up because these things don't live very long. The next, the next one's coming, and you're going to feel disappointed if you don't have it. The second danger is this, and this is more specific for us as worship leaders and church leaders of all kinds. We're learning to be satisfied with the veneer of something rather than the real thing. Social media is a, it's a curated version of your life. You're able to take your life and take the best parts of it and put it on display for other people to see and to approve. And you get to control how you're seen. So social media, if, you, if, if I go and I look at your, your feed, I can very quickly discern, as you can of me, what kind of person you want the world to see you to be. You can present a perfect version of your life, and you can present a version of your life that Laura Turner recently called curated imperfection, a supposed vulnerability that is in reality still completely under your control. 
In all of these cases, though, you'll find yourself living for the veneer and not for the real thing. Because the veneer is what gets you approval. The veneer is the thing you can control. The veneer isn't broken in the ways that cause you shame and disappointment and sadness and fear. Right about now, Matt Boswell's wondering, hey Mike, what on earth does this have to do with public worship? I would say that the universal temptation of our age is to be satisfied with the veneer rather than the real thing. It's a universal temptation. And for pastors and worship leaders, that means being satisfied with the appearance of joy, of intimacy, and of passion rather than the real thing. Joy, intimacy, and passion for God come from cultivating a deep life with God. What we see on Sunday mornings should be an overflow of that intimacy and not a substitute for it. And that kind of intimacy only comes from a life that makes space for God in the most intimate of ways. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Are we satisfied with a life of worship that is wholly lived out in the presence of other people? Is it enough for us as worship leaders to have Sunday mornings as the place where we encounter the presence of God while we leave the rest of our lives untouched? Let's put Jesus' words a little differently. And when you worship, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the churches and at the conferences that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you worship, go into your room and shut the door and worship your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secrets will reward you. Friends, where is the room in your life where you shut the door and pray to your father in secret? Think about it as the the intimacy of lovers. If there are two people who are in love with one another, they they share their lives and they share their secrets and they, they share their shame and they share their brokenness and they share their hopes and they share their fears. And if one of those people in that relationship then turns around and every time they've got something that to, to, to say about the other person, they're sharing it with the world, the intimacy is destroyed. The relationship's broken. The relationship will end. That'll end a marriage. That'll end a, a, a relationship of all kinds. That'll end trust between a father and a son or a, a mother and a daughter or, or between two siblings. And so again, we have to ask ourselves, have we grown satisfied with the reward that comes from being seen as someone who loves to worship? From being seen as someone who loves to worship rather than someone who actually has a deep and intimate relationship with God our Father. I assure you, if you love the veneer, then ministry will ultimately destroy you. I also assure you, if you're tired and burned out and worn out on religion, if you're feeling fake on Sunday mornings, if you're feeling like a hypocrite, if you're frustrated with ministry and tired of people not getting it all around you, then almost certainly part of the issue is that you haven't carved out this space of intimacy with God because that's the safe place, that's the safe shelter, and that's the place where there's the opportunity to fill up so that you can overflow into the ministry of the lives of others. 
Henri Nouwen described it like this. He said that the, the Christian life was like tending a hearth in a cottage on a cold day. And as we live our spiritual lives, we, we have the door closed and we're, we're cultivating the, the warmth of the fire and we're warming the room. And every time we open the door to the cottage to, to let people in and to let people see inside, it lets a little bit of the warmth out. And if you live with the door open, the, the room never gets warm and eventually it goes cold and the fire goes out. Friends, we have to cultivate something. We have to make space in our lives for intimacy with God if intimacy with God is going to lead us successfully into caring for our churches, into leading worship, and into being honest in our presence before the church. You've taken in a lot over the last couple of days, and I encourage you to be thankful for it, and I pray that you go back to your churches with renewed vigor and energy for your work. But I also pray that you'll go back hungry for a deeper intimacy with God and a deeper connection with the, his presence, because only that can sustain you for ministry that lasts. Don't be satisfied with the veneer of Sunday mornings that go well. Crave the real thing and let your ministry be an overflow. Let's pray. God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, I know some here are weary, and I pray that you would give them comfort, the comfort that you offer when you say that all who are weary can come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. God, some here are angry, angry with their churches, angry with their pastors, angry with their worship leaders, angry in their lives in general. Lord, I pray that you would help them to press down and find the roots of that anger and the deep places where you and you alone can heal them. Lord, some here are full of joy for ministry. I pray you'd give them the steadfastness to continue in that joy by pursuing your face. And Lord, give all of us the wisdom and the desire not to settle for the veneer, but to chase after you and to crave the real thing. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.